0: This is Scott Becker with the Becker Private Equity Podcast. We're thrilled today to speak, feature a special episode where Amber Walsh is going to discuss three key takeaways in women's health care. Uh, and women's health care is this, you know, obviously women's health care is more than half the population, but there's been this tremendous focus of private equity and investors in lots of areas related to women's health care over the last few years. Amber's gonna give us three key takeaways on women's healthcare investing in the women's healthcare world and trends in business. Amber, let me let you take it away before I just babble on any further. Amber, go with it.
1: Thank you, Scott. So, um, these are thoughts distilled from a recent Women's Healthcare Summit that was organized by our partner, Kayla Marty, but also with the support of others in the firm, Leslie Terminella, Um, Kristen Woodrum, to have really the first ever women's health summit before our larger Charlotte conference. And I, I had the opportunity to lead a really interesting exercise to kick off the day, which I thought was fascinating. And that was to start with just a word cloud, creating a word cloud amongst our audience. And there were about 80 people in the audience on this particular summit talking about what do we think of when we hear women's health. And it was very interesting because there were words that popped up on the word cloud. You know, participants get to put in what comes to mind for them, and they weren't limited by the number of words they could put in. There are some very obvious things I think we would all expect. I think the go-to for everyone, the core people think of as traditional women's health OBGYN. But there were a lot of really interesting words, some I expected, because this is a relatively sophisticated group of investors and lawyers and CPAs, et cetera, in the space. There's some really interesting words too. And the first kind of takeaway that I took from it, as I saw the words going on the screen and I had the opportunity to kind of talk through these words with the audience members who had put them up there, The the first thing that I really took home is that there truly is a growing awareness of how women experience the exact same disease states from men differently, but how there continues to be um, a a lack of distinction in the care for those disease, disease states between women and men. So a couple of examples that I'll give you. Alzheimer's, um, two-thirds of all Alzheimer's diagnoses are women, and it's not just due to their longer lifespan. Heart disease, there's a higher incidence of fatal heart attack in women. It's one in every four or five uh, female deaths, and yet only 54% of women recognize that it's, it is the number one killer of our gender. Stroke, autoimmune disease, osteoporosis, Um, even STDs women experience differently and more dramatically, and as we were talking through with the audience, that's really kind of the take-home that for many people, um, any clinicians listening, it may be really obvious, but it's pretty remarkable that for that group, depending on their area of focus, that awareness of how women experience the diseases differently, but how the treatments aren't yet fully and properly differentiated is a pretty big part of what many people would define as women's health. So that's really my first key takeaway.
0: Fascinating. And thank you. Let me let you continue to number two and number three.
1: So the the second takeaway, and this really was distilled in my thinking from the different words that people were putting on the screen. People were putting on the screen words like political and underrepresentation and flawed research studies, some very interesting phrases on top of more of the words that we would expect to be there. And I feel like the second takeaway is really this growing awareness of uh, clinicians, investors, uh, leadership in the women's health industry, that of the other factors that impact women's health beyond just our physical differences and how complex, emotional, and politically charged those different factors are. So, for example, there's a really fascinating uh, Washington Post article a few months ago going through some clinical research studies that even despite mandates in um, uh, IRB boards, in uh, you know legal requirements, FDA study requirements, that the representation of women in research studies is still really dramatically behind, and it's not, in many cases, for lack of effort by the industry, it's a lot of factors going into women's reluctance to participate, and it's even exacerbated when you look at women of color, for example. Then you have other factors, uh, such as the underrepresentation of female physicians, even though patients facing healthcare workers are still more dominantly female, even if not in the physician ranks. And then, of course, there's the factors of who are the leaders in the boardroom making decisions about you know, healthcare operations. operations. It's just such a complex topic that those who work in the women's health space you know, have to think about all of these other things. And that's really my second takeaway is that at an event like that, where you have people who kind of live and breathe the space. Those are the types of words that they felt compelled to use when talking about women's health.
0: No, and it's and it's really fascinating that still this underrepresentation of women, minorities, others in clinical research studies, because you're right, the industry has tried to at least tried at least in some areas to improve upon that. Traditionally the record was just absolutely horrible as so much of the research studies were really based on. White men, and nothing yet, it's white men. I am one of them, but it's, but it was horribly underrepresented. Genders, other genders, under the races, and the others. And with, as we move towards precision medicine, we see how damaging that underrepresentation can be to research and how things turn out. So, no, a fascinating perspective. Thank you. And, Amber, what's the third point that you're watching closely?
1: Yeah, the third is interesting. Um, and there's probably more debate on this topic. I think it's Fun um, to think about the uh, growing acceptance, but still some debate on other aspects of womanhood um, that can come into women's healthcare. So what I mean by that is decisions that a business makes, a healthcare business makes, on the extent to which to integrate other parts of a woman into the healthcare paradigm. So some things are really obvious. Our keynote um, was the head of lactation, a really, really fabulous venture back lactation business, doing really remarkable things. And uh, lactation, infant care, um, maternal fetal health, um, those things I think are very logical and not much debated, that when you are caring for the woman and you're incorporating women's health, it's natural to also include to a certain degree at a certain population, also infant care. That's not really debated. And then you have these other things that are really interesting, med spa. So incorporating med spa in with uh, female focused dermatology care. It is, you hear a very interesting conversation about when that can become a distraction Um, for the whole woman and when it's very helpful to being able to treat the whole person so that was kind of my my third takeaway it's more of a to me kind of a, a fun and interesting topic and that's pretty advanced because you know to my first two points we still have a lot of work to do on just simple education representation of women you know making sure that we get all of these disease states you know Treatable and recognizing the differences between women and men, these other aspects are are interesting um, kind of additions and expansions of that. That you know maybe we'll eventually get to where everything is integrated. But that was kind of my third takeaway from the day.
0: Thank you, and that's fascinating. And there there is this discussion of how badly the U.S. ranks in maternal and fetal health and child health compared to many other developed nations. Any thoughts or discussion around some of those issues too?
1: Yeah, no, that that's absolutely right. And and to go exactly to that point, um, one of our speakers um, just did a basic. This was our partner, Christian Wundrum, did just a, a basic kind of quiz just to gauge the audience's knowledge. And this is a you know pretty. Um, a group that many of which spend day in and day out in the women's health industry and their awareness of um, how we perform on the international uh, stage relative to maternal fetal medicine was pretty off, to be honest. And that's something that surprises people. You know, We have this belief in the U.S. that we provide the very best health care. Some people believe that. I, that's a debate. I should asterisk that note. But there are many people who believe that we have the top-notch healthcare, and yet then it's a surprise it's flabbergasting to people, even highly educated people, that we don't perform well in that regard. And of course, there are people who spend their entire careers trying to determine why that is and how we can become more like the Scandinavian countries, for example, who outperform us and are at the very tippity-top of the scale without fundamentally changing who we are as clinicians in so many other ways. So
0: it is very interesting. Literally fascinating. And, and, and take one moment, too. We know there's been a lot of women's health sort of OB-GYN practice roll ups. Where are the next core areas where you see significant investment around what you think of as women's or we think of as women's health initiatives or companies? Like IVF clinics, fertility clinics, and I know that you're always fighting a fine line when you call that women's health because it's women and men trying to have children, but, but where also are the areas that you see the most, you know, interest in investing in women's health?
1: Um, you're absolutely right. And, and fertility, we certainly had um, all different words with uh, fertility up on our word cloud. So I, I think that's a very, a very close sister um, industry to women's health. So we absolutely have seen a lot of activity and interest in fertility as well. There's a lot of focus on femtech and uh, technology specifically focused on female health. Um, Some focused on female senior care in technology. Um, Some focused on education. Some focused on um, motherhood as a stage. And there are some, to my earlier point, about um, the incidences that are are higher in women and, and that women experience differently. There is absolutely a recognition in every single one of these areas. Osteoporosis, perfect example. Women experience it more pre- with more prevalence and differently, and there's absolutely an investment in that area. So there's a lot of activity still, but when it comes to the private equity, um, kind of roll up consolidation strategy, it is still leading in traditional OBGYN and fertility.
0: Uh, thank you very much. That, that makes sense. And then there's more and more interesting venture-backed technology companies, too, as well. You talked about some of that. Amber, as always, Amber Walsh on the Executive Committee at McGuire Woods, lives at the intersection of healthcare and private equity. Fascinating career, fascinating leadership. Thank you for joining us today on the Becker's Private Equity Podcast.
1: Thank you.